And we are your hosts for today's broadcast, following top news stories of the day. Good, great, grand, wonderful. I have a bad feeling about this. What ain't no country I ever heard of? They speak English and what? It's the good. The bad. And the what? Lost your train of thought, didn't I? <laughs> Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Good, The Bad, and The What, the show in which we dissect what makes a movie good, bad, or other within a certain theme, category, subgenre, or filmography. I'm Ryan Oliver. And I'm Chris Thomas. Chris, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing fantastic, Ryan. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic as well, mainly because I'm very excited to talk about these movies today. Uh, Me too. It's like you you almost knew how, like, well, not knew, you experienced it, we experienced it together, how rough our mutual uh, uh, New Year's slasher pick was. Oh my god. And so it's like you overcorrected <laughs> with this episode. <laughs> uh, but I will I will give you the floor uh, to tease these uh, Valentine's Day slashers, as you talked about at the end of the last episode. Yes. Uh, so th- this episode is coming out the Friday before Valentine's Day. So uh, please uh, snuggle up with your uh, loved one. Or uh, if you're by yourself, love yourself. Uh, get yourself a-, a treat, a nice little box of candy with a human heart in it, and sit down and watch these three picks. I would honestly recommend all three of these picks like i've probably said on a previous episode this is an oops all bangers even the bad episode today i didn't particularly like the movie but i can understand and see why people might and i know what they were going for so like it's not without its merit so these are my favorite episodes to talk about since there's not one that's just gonna be spirit crushing that's like right in the middle of the conversation um I, i think there's plenty to go over about all of these Absolutely, I, I I had a good time, and and I as as per usual, um, I usually try when we watch uh, these movies. I usually start with the bad, um, mm-hmm. even if it's something I haven't seen, uh, just because I'm like, uh, well, then it's all uphill from from here, right? So that's fair. Um, but then when I when I watch the bad, and I I don't want to get too far, but. When I found myself enjoying the movie, I was like, oh, okay, this episode's <laughs> going to be, this is going to be interesting, because I, I had seen the other two movies prior, so, like, I knew, I was like, yeah, yeah, this fits, yes, this fits, but, uh, yeah, we'll, but we'll get into it. Uh, yes, we'll get into we'll it, get into it and, and we'll launch right into it. I, I'll just go over the picks for today. You should already know them if you've looked at the title of this episode, but today, the, the good pick is going to be my Bloody Valentine from 1981, directed by George Mahalka. Uh, we will talk about the 2009 remake very, very briefly, um, but that's not the, the main focus, but we will touch on it. Um, the bad choice is Valentine from 2001, directed by Jamie Blanks. And the what is X-Ray um, from 1981 as well, directed by Boaz Davidson. Um, so... Why don't we just move on forward uh, and march on in and get right into My Bloody Valentine. In this town on Valentine's Day, everybody loses their heart. Roses are red, violets are blue. One is dead, and so are you. It can't be happening again. Stop! It 
town of Valentine Plus, there are many ways to die. Take your pick. My bloody Valentine. Ryan, you'd seen this before. Is this one that you'd seen when you were younger? Is this more recent pickup? Uh, more recent. I think I was trying to sort of trace back when I watched this movie last. Um, since I've had like a, a letterbox account since actually I don't know when, but I like 2016. I've been probably since 2016. I've been consistently logging uh, like what I watch, even if it's just like a sentence or two. Um, Two, par- two paragraphs depending on what I felt like writing at a given time um, and I think it was like 2019 I want to say it was when I watched this movie last um, mm. and I'm trying to remember if I had seen it before that but like it, it, it was a relatively recent uh, watch cool I think my similarly I, I watched it for the first time a few years ago and when I watched it the first time I didn't like it um, but I remember it being a movie that even after I had, I didn't like it. I knew that there was a following for it, and that people did appreciate it. And in the days and weeks after watching it for the first time, even though I didn't like it, there were things that I thought about. Um, it it kind of stuck with me a, a lot of the imagery and things that we'll get into in the episode. But then, even this most rewatched, like recent one, I rewatched it and I liked it more. But there was still a part of me that was just like, mm, like it, it didn't quite scratch that itch you know it wasn't quite there but then after doing research and stuff for the episode i came to really appreciate a lot about it and it's really stuck with me now and it's it's growing on me to be a sleeper favorite especially of like the holiday horror genre um i know that there's you know not a whole lot of good ones uh, in that uh in that bag there but of that category i think it's got to be like a top three for me Oh, certainly. Uh, I don't know where I would place it in the realm of holiday horrors, but I think this is definitely, you know, ultimately, especially on this rewatch, realize I think it's just one of my favorite slasher movies, period. You know, like at least a top, I don't know, 25. I mean, I, I know some people who maybe aren't as big a horror fans or maybe specifically not a big a slasher fans, like you could find 25 slasher movies that you think are good. <laughs> yes. The answer yes. is yes, I could. Uh, and My Bloody Valentine is one of them. Um, you know, and I don't want to, uh, you did it, you wrote out a lot in our show notes, so I'm not going to steal too much. <laughs> so I really don't want to steal any too much of your thunder, but you know, it is definitely like when I watched it the first time, like you recognize almost immediately you know, maybe within the first 10 minutes that you're like, okay, this is definitely hot off the heels of Friday the 13th. There's oh, a whodunit. Yes. <laughs> yes. There's a mass, you know, mass killer. It's a whodunit. It's a small town that has like a checkered, like history with mm-hmm. something. Um, it's was also uh, distributed by Paramount who distributed the first eight Friday, the 13th movies before new line bought the rights to Jason. So, um, so it's like, there's a lot of baseline similarities for sure. But I think to me where it works better than Friday, the 13th, uh, is that I think this movie for one, it moves, uh, I like, like Friday the 13th has obviously like, we talked about the whole franchise we don't need to get too deep in the weeds of that. Of course, like the great Tom Savini, the effects works in Friday the 13th is terrific. Um, but like, there's a lot of just boring filler in the first Friday the 13th, which would go on to sort of plague 
a lot of that series in general mm-hmm. uh, and amidst the things that are good. But I don't feel that this is that. Like, there's consistently different reveals. It's not just, like, campers being killed as well. There's, like, a varied types of, like, people in the town being killed. Um, it nicely subverts what we've talked about a lot on this podcast, which is the Jaws plot. And, mm-hmm. you know, if you're new and unfamiliar, the Jaws plot, of course, is something is happening. But then there's a town gathering of some kind that they're like, well, we can't cancel X. We can't the Fourth of July festival. <laughs> the foliage or whatever. festival. The foli- all the way to the foliage festival <laughs> from Winter Beast. We can't cancel it. And this movie subverts that by the by, you know, I mean, we'll probably say spoilers for this movie if you haven't mm-hmm. seen it and if you haven't seen it go check it out but it's, it subverts it pretty immediately where they're like they do cancel the valentine's day festival oh yeah within the first 30 minutes of the movie they're like oh yeah we gotta cancel it sorry like uh we just can't afford any more like people to die and then it's the you know and then it's like the blue collar workers who work in the mine and they're like significant others or whatever who take it in their own hands like oh well fuck it we're gonna have a party anyway and it's like mm-hmm. no but it's like also they're not <laughs> they're not they're kind of dumb horror movie characters but they're not the typical dumb horror movie characters no. i feel like everybody at least has like a personality everybody has like something to them that i think just makes it and those things count to me like like a good slasher, obviously, what do you want from it? You want, like, atmosphere, you want good deaths, you want it to be well-constructed. Um, but at the same time, it's like, but it's like when you have characters that you're like, oh, I actually kind of gave a little bit of a crap when they bit the dust. Like, yeah. it, it matters. <laughs> and oh, I think it definitely that movie does. Does, does that, for sure. Yeah, uh, a lot there. The and, and you touched on a lot of the same things that I was going to say about that movie that make it work. The one thing I'm, I'm going to just get out of the way real quick uh, is sort of the the synopsis and, and background for the movie. Um, so, uh, 20 years after a tragic mining accident, the specter of murderous Harry Warden still haunts the small town of Valentine Bluff. This Valentine's Day will be the first one celebrated since the massacre, but when candy boxes containing human hearts begin showing up around town, the sheriff must put a stop to celebrations before the hapless miners turn their party into a slasher's smorgasbord. Um, This movie, so as you said, this is sort of in that that glut of holiday horror movies hot off the heels of Friday the 13th. It was actually started production just a few months after Friday the 13th. Friday the 13th was released in May of 1980, and My Bloody Valentine started filming in September. Very obviously wow. off the success of, like, holy shit, look how much money they got. Um, we we gotta get on that gravy train. Um, but what I found really interesting when I was looking into this, so they started shooting it in September, and they needed to get it out by February to hit that, you know, uh, the, the uh, to get it out before uh, Valentine's Day. But so there's a portion of the movie that's that takes place in a mine. And, and like you said, after the Valentine's Day uh, festival or, or party has been canceled because Harry Warden is murdering people in the town, the uh, the cast of uh, miners uh, who are like not miners. That, that's the thing that's kind of cool about this movie is that they're not teenagers who are getting drunk and, and trying to avoid their parents. They're blue collar adult workers with their like grown up love interests and girlfriends and stuff. And they the small town 
This is actually shot in uh, Nova Scotia, um, it, like as far, almost as far east as you can get in Canada. Like there's still a little bit over there, but it's it's way, way, way out there. Bumfuck nowhere, this tiny little town um, uh, of Sydney Mines, Nova Scotia. Um, so there was this actual mine, the the uh, Princess Colliery Mines. Um they had been shut down since 1975, but of course they were still accessible, so they let them film their movie down in there. But they actually took the cast and the crew down there to shoot them 2,700 feet underground, um, freezing cold. Uh, one of the plots that comes up in the movie down there uh, that they say don't you know can light your cigarettes or anything like down there because there's methane gas and could blow them all to hell. That was a real danger. Um, there was methane gas that was down there, and because of that, they had to shoot the movie with uh, lights that were no uh, brighter than 25 watts because the heat from the lights, like if they would have brought down film lights, could have blown them all to smithereens. So they were shooting the movie in these like low with low light lenses on special film stock uh, with these low wattage light bulbs for that entire portion that they were shooting down in the mines and because it would like they had to send the film off to a a place in new york to get it developed um and it was a, a lengthy process to get that done they weren't able to do dailies so for the portions that they shot down in the mine they were shooting it blind they had no idea what was actually being captured in camera until they got finished film stock back but they had to get the the film shot then the the film developed so that they could cut it and then get it off to get it uh, a final cut to get slated so that they could actually get it out distributed to theaters and have it premiere by february so they were just like barreling headfirst for like a third of the movie had no idea what they were actually capturing in the camera until they were able to get it into the editing room which I found just like it's incredible that the like you don't notice it either when they get to the 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 mines you're not like this is a completely different movie it looks terrible like it's so consistent all the way through I was shocked to learn that they were going through that much of a hassle I had no idea. Like you said, it's seamless. Like you wouldn't have right. known. And it, it, like that's actually makes it cooler. Like you could actually kind of make an argument that those scenes almost have like maybe not a dreamlike quality to them, but there's like mm-hmm. a little there's like a, a, a otherworldly quality to them. I mean, I think coupled with the score as well. Like especially yes. that opening, it really sets a tone that like opening sequence where the the <laughs> there's the the woman. It's weird. Uh, <laughs> like, yeah, it's just, he's, he walks up in his gas mask and, and she, you know, take, starts taking off her clothes and and then and then kills well, her clothes. She's also fully in a, a miner's outfit. So as far yes. as we can tell, it's two miners going to work in the mine until one of them undresses. And this is buxom blonde woman uh, in her in her underwear underneath the miner suit and we're like oh okay <laughs> like, <I> had... <laughs> it's like oh okay but then yeah it, but it does set the tone for the rest of the movie for sure mm-hmm. like it's got that like sort of like you know it's got a, a interesting like kind of otherworldly quality to it and then uh, we you know established really early on that yes there's a somebody working down in the mines or someone who's appearing to work down in the mines who's mm-hmm. wearing a mask and running around with a pickaxe who's killing people. So, you know, it automatically also sets up your whodunit element because you're like, yes. there's a bunch of people going down there with their pickaxes and their masks. So could be, could be anybody at this mm-hmm. point. So that it automatically 
automatically instills a bit of tension into the movie and a little bit of stakes, which is which is again nice. And also just again, Buck Wild that they're like just filming being like, I hope this turns out okay. Yep. <laughs> I hope we got everything in frame that we needed to get. Especially because there's like gore gags and stuff that we'll we'll get to the gore and how it was handled in the movie, but there are gags that they had to shoot in a way to where it was visible and there was no way of knowing. I mean, of course, you're looking through the viewfinder and being like, well, it, it appears to be in frame, but they could have fucked it up and they would have no idea until they got that footage back weeks later. And by then it would have been too late for them to go reshoot it. Oh, yeah, because this couldn't have been longer than a month shoot at oh, most. Yeah. Like, probably yeah, it was just weeks. over 40 days. OK, yeah, that makes that sounds about right for a movie like this. <laughs> yeah. Um. But so I mentioned that this was shot in Nova Scotia. This movie was one of uh, several uh, that happened because of a tax shelter. They're, they're, they're called tax shelter films. So basically uh, the uh, Canadian government came out and, and said that uh, anyone who invests in a film, a feature film made in Canada, they can deduct 100% of their investment in Canadian feature films from their taxable income at the end of the year. Um, so between... Uh, 1974 there was three uh, feature films produced in Canada uh, and by 1979 there was 77 produced that year um, <laughs> people jumped onto it so like this is I mean there were some great movies that came out of this like Black Christmas for instance was in the middle of the Tax Haven films so there are great Canadian horror movies that came out of this and, and they, they discontinued it by uh, 1982 um, as you can imagine most of the movies getting made were kind of shit uh, and it was mostly people just trying to take advantage of uh, the, the tax credits um, so they uh, I think uh, one of the critics of the law described it as trying to compete with Ford Motors by building a car in your basement. Um, <laughs> which I thought, I thought was a pretty good quote. Um, I would say That's that good. this movie, it, it, like even given that context that there were people that were kind of like churning out movies uh, with the expectation that like as a producer, I'm going to get my money back anyway is sort of a loophole for me. So who gives a shit? The, we already talked about sort of the quality of what they were shooting underground in the mines and everything. That quality goes throughout the entire movie. And there definitely is a love and a care in this movie, especially in like the, the gore sequences, because there's no Tom Savini in involved in this movie. And I mean, I would contend that if Friday the 13th hadn't had Tom Savini and that wouldn't have been a standout part of that movie, I don't think Friday the 13th, as a series would have probably existed. Uh, I'm, I've never been one to stand up and say Friday the 13th is a masterpiece. It's, it kind of mostly sucks. Uh, but there's just some good flashes of, of gore that really intensify the horror. Um, this movie overall is structured very well. I think has a lot going on for it. It understands the assignment of it being a holiday horror movie and really trying to play that up. Uh, and I think that that takes it a long way as well. And then the gore is icing on top, although it was ultimately cut out of the theatrical release. Which I, I 
That I did know. Uh, I, I didn't know a lot of this information, so I'm happy you did the, the background research. And um, yeah, I'm not surprised that like everyone just started jumping ship to try and make all these movies up in Canada. I mean, they don't have that tax, sh- tax shelter anymore, but they still offer like write-offs. Like so many movies are shot up there like now still. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, like especially we've talked about this before. Anything that's set in the Pacific Northwest, you can always bet your bottom dollar is probably shot in vancouver and honestly oh, yeah. same same with the east coast like new york boston it's uh, it's yep, probably toronto, toronto. yeah yep. exactly so um but but one thing i did know infamously is like yes this movie did was heavily like not maybe not heavily because it's like there's still like human hearts being shown in full in these boxes mm-hmm. and whatnot but like you there was about i know that it's what two or three minutes shorter the the like there is an extended cut i think it's on the screen factory blu-ray which unfortunately Mm -hmm. i do not own so i just watched whatever cut was on hbo max which i'm pretty sure is the theatrical yeah one i do have the blu-ray so i i watched the 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 uncut version oh nice um i guess there's there's nine minutes that got cut but the director said the six minutes of it was like unneeded exposition so it's three minutes of footage that like for the gore scenes which like for like three minutes of gore scenes is a lot of footage i mean like for the most part when you're watching a movie unless it's like Hostel or something where there's like extended lengths of like time where there's gore on the screen. Most gore is going to be like an axe hit or a knife stab, like that sort of stuff that only takes up a few seconds that it's on screen. So like three minutes is a, a considerable amount of footage. Oh, absolutely. Especially when you consider too, it's not like it's not like a usually when something like this happens it's not like a whole sequence is being cut around the movie it's just mm-hmm. the like incision point if it's like a spear you know so like it's, right. it's they're, cu- they're cutting around like the gags are all probably still intact i don't think they cut a gag out of the movie but they probably no. just cut how long they held on a shot or anything like that like especially if you you know do like I know we're talking a little shit about the first Friday the 13th, but again, we did a whole episode. We like mm-hmm. the series overall. If you have that Scream Factory box set um, of the Friday the 13th series, I think it's part two. There's um, the, like long lost deleted scenes uh, mm-hmm. that they were able to on it. And they're all like, it's on a master tape. Cause that's the, they, you know, cause it was daily as it got added to the tape. So that's the only source that they had. So if you watch it, it's cool to see, but I mentioned spear because there's the the kill through the bed with mm-hmm. the the stick, um, and you're watching the deleted scenes, and it's like it's in the movie intact. They just cut around a lot of the like gag and like how long they hold on a shot. So three minutes for something like this, that's that's a that's actually a lot that's cut yeah. out. <laughs> so, well, and some of it is is honestly like really really good, and, and like. I, I having seen the theatrical version and the version with gore, like it's it's night and day. As a horror movie, a better like cause it's shocking. It, I, in the theatrical version, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. So it, the there's a portion later on where the woman who's planning the Valentine's party um, is at the laundromat. She gets attacked by Harry Warden, and then later on the sheriff finds her body. Do you see her body in the theatrical cut? Uh, I don't believe. Well, you see a smidge of it, like it, but a it's like of it. like it's probably less than a second. It's probably a couple frames. Okay. that that uh, he pulls it pulls it out, and uh, you see it just I think up against the 
like what oh, the comes door out. and she's like yeah what yeah. opens the door and she comes out of it and then i think you see a little bit of it when they zip the body bag up um mm-hmm. but like but it's like it's it's like it's enough to where you're like i see it it's there and then like and same with the right against the uh, washing machine it just it's not there very long sure in the the gore cut the you get a full-on like shot it punches in you get a close-up like uh, her skin is gone like she's been basically cooked like fried inside of this uh uh dryer and she, there's like smoke rolling out of her mouth and so, like it's it's a really graphic gory scene and it's honestly like terrifying to see and and you see stuff like that and we've sort of ragged on the uh mpaa before and but especially after like the MPA first off, they caught a whole lot of flack for the fact that Friday the 13th even got released. So a lot of people were really upset that a movie that, that was that gory was allowed to be in theaters that they'd really dropped the ball on that one. This is also the era of the video nasties, uh, Mm -hmm. people being tried in court, uh, for their movies being, you know, a menace to society. Um, but, uh, director uh, of my bloody Valentine even proposed that he thinks that they were extra, they, they scrutinized, um, my bloody Valentine a little bit harshly because it was released two months after the assassination of John Lennon. And so, uh, like, uh, everything in the news was about, like, well, Mark David Chapman and what led him to do such a violent thing to such a big public figure. So they, like, really cracked down on it. I There was no there's no official anything from the MPAA about it being about John Lennon, but they were very vocal about uh, the, this movie particularly and, and being like Canadians get your filth out of our country. And so like they, they were very, very harsh about my bloody Valentine. I'm not surprised. I mean, if you've ever watched the documentary, this film is not yet rated. Like yes. you know, the MPAA doesn't have like, rigid rules for how they rate the movie it's just like how they feel on a particular day yeah you know it's like horseshit it's so dumb yeah there's a i could go deep down the rabbit hole the, the most amazing story is that they kept sending uh south park bigger longer and uncut was submitted like 37 times or something like that and it kept getting an nc-17 and basically <laughs> the producer just straight up they were like two weeks released just called them and like yelled and basically just said we need an r rating and then the next cut came back, no questions asked, rated R. And they didn't so, even change anything between the last cut and the new anything. submission, and they just gave it an R rating. Yeah. They just did it because it was South Park, and it was the kids swearing, and because that movie is a direct attack on the MPAA itself. Yes. So uh, they were uh, they were not pleased, and they still, to this day, regret. Uh, I think I think he took it to his grave, The like the head of the MPAA, uh, uh, the founder, I don't remember his name, that the one movie he regrets overturning is South Park Bigger, Longer, and Uncuts. Well... <laughs> He can keep rolling in his grave because yeah, I think <laughs> that level of censorship is, is fucking stupid. But I digress. Let's get into the the movie proper and its structure. I I love that you brought up several points in when you were talking about um, uh, what you like about the movie, and I think one of the ones that you mentioned was. Um, sort of the small town feel of of what's going on here these miners and that you really get a sense of the characters and i was i was racking my brain the setup of this movie and the the way that it sort of operates i couldn't think of any other movie that is is similar in its setting other than john carpenter's the fog yeah where, i mean that's a good point where it's like a coastal sort of like small town um and it's almost like 
and almost much like the fog. I mean, the fog is a literal ghost story with the yes. uh, the the added on uh, uh, bookends of the movie. But like, but this has that feel of like a campfire ghost story. Yes. Um, I well, mean, there, the bartender even like has a uh, his own version, his own harbinger yeah. version of old uh, Harry Warden, and he yes. found him in the mine. I love that whole scene. Oh yeah, that's what's just like. It also goes to the Friday the Thirteenth knockoffness of the. Mm-hmm. the you know, he's basically the Ralph doomed, yep. you're all doomed, and so. Uh, but yeah, there's there's nothing like that, and I was able to sort of lock into it right away too, because like I I didn't you know I didn't grow up in a coastal town, but I grew up in a small town, and I grew up in a small town that was once a mill town, like most famously, mm. like. Um, so it was also weird, like growing up, of like seeing the the sort of shift from uh mill town where it's like you know a lot of people were employed by the town like my grandpa worked for the mill way back in the day um you know they clocked in they clocked out they worked their nine to five whatnot and then eventually my town became a mill town with a like they they shut the mill town so it's just like one of those mill towns without a functioning mill without a mill (laughs) yeah it's just so it's like people just i don't know what do they do they go to they go to johnny's they go to the bar they you know Mm -hmm. uh maybe they were doing that after their shift anyway um but it's like those were things i recognized in this where it's like okay they're all clocking in and now they're going to the bar and um you know and then it's also that element of um you know our sort of primary schism in addition to somebody killing somebody is our character uh, it's tj who comes back uh from being gone for like x amount of time uh mm-hmm. and like so he's so there's that like sort of the town has moved on like moved on and has stayed the same at the same time uh but now he comes back and now it's like everyone's sort of like kind of treating him like the you're not from around here even though you're from here sort of yeah, element yeah um, well and i think it's I, I i don't think it's explicitly stated but i do think they say that he he went out west to try and make it or something like that i think they're alluding to he tried to be like an actor like he maybe yeah. went to hollywood it didn't pan out and now he's worked he's, he's moved back home and even one of the guys that's there is just like well you know he lives here he's my son he's gonna work in the mines like that's it's just a mining town which i i know one of the like the repeated sort of critiques about the movie that I've seen is that like how stupid are these characters for them to go down into the like mine like what are you doing what are you thinking and I like I can agree on one uh, sure like one it, it that is pretty stupid of them to do and it ultimately doesn't pan out for them as we see but at the same time in a small town like this that is a mining town and if you live there you are a miner or you like or your dad is a miner your brother is a miner like Mm-hmm. Like it's ubiquitous. Everybody knows the mines. Nobody's afraid of the mines. It's just another place to hang out because it's part of your daily life. And they even talk about it when they're at the bar. One of the characters is like, "We got a, like a pool table down there. We got like they got shit to do." So it's like, if you're gonna party, why would you not go down in the mine? Like you don't actually expect there to be Harry Warden, this like mythical killer that was like killed people in the town two decades ago and then was committed and is probably dead. Like nobody's going to give a shit about that. So it makes sense to me, but it, it, it goes along with that small town feel and that campfire ghost story that it does so well. Oh yeah. I don't totally see that critique. Cause it's just like, let's just, uh, let's, <laughs> I don't want to turn this, this episode into, um, uh, 
economics 101 but you know like <laughs> when you're when you're a town whose whose main uh you know main income is this mine like what else you're either gonna work the mine or you're gonna bartend or you'll right. work at like the grocery store or the thrift shop like like we see a wide shot of the town it's one square block <laughs> And, and, and the mine. It's like there's nothing else to do. Maybe you could be a longshoreman. It is off the coast. So there, there's some potential there, I guess. But, like, there's not a lot of options. So, like, of course people are working. Like, that's that's what people do in this town. So it's not, like, a, a dumb thing. People are just going to do their damn jobs. Like, yeah. it's obvious. So it makes sense and, to me. <laughs> no, it totally makes sense to me. And uh, uh, Harry Warden, basically his whole backstory that we get from the bartender Harry Ward, like there was uh, an accident that uh, these a couple of guys who were really excited to go to the town's Valentine's Day dance because it's Valentine Bluff, and so they they make a big deal of Valentine's Day and Valentine Bluff. These two guys who were supposed to clear lines in the mines and basically push the poisonous or dangerous gas out forgot to do that on their way out. Uh, an explosion happened. It caused a cave-in. It trapped a few of the miners. It took them a few weeks to get them out. But by the time they were able to finally get through, there was only one survivor, Harry Warden, who had turned to cannibalism in order to survive and had lost his mind. Um, a year later on the uh, the anniversary, he uh, escaped from the insane asylum that he was in, and he went and killed those two miners who forgot to clear the lines, and then put their hearts into candy boxes, um, and and also like some of this, the way that it's presented is via ghost story from the the crusty old bartender so some of it like comes across fantastical and you don't know how much of it is like local legend and lore or like it could have just been a dude who like stabbed another dude and then over the course of 20 years has turned into the specter of harry warden who haunts this town and i just i loved that that setup because it feels really creepy the way that it does it and by the time there's actually a dude in a miner's outfit swinging a pickaxe around you're sort of able to or at least i was or sort of able to get myself into the mood of accepting this as a campfire story logic yes and it, it makes it work so much better oh 100 i think largely in part because uh you know i don't want to get i don't want to fast forward too heavily into the conversation but i think because the the twist is so sort of uh, out of left field. Like it's kind of, it's, <laughs> it's kind of poopy. It's kind of dumb. And <laughs> so therefore you're sort of accepting the movie on its face value because it's so good with its atmosphere. And it's so good with that, like campfire story element that you just accepted that like, yeah, it's Harry Warden, but like we're led to believe. And, you know, many of the elder people who were, you know, uh, you know, who were middle, you know, younger or middle aged during that, you know, 20 years ago being like, well, it can't be Harry Warden. Like it genuinely cannot mm-hmm. be Harry Warden because he is dead. Um, but then, you know, but they do a really good job of convincing you that it's him because of that like element. But then, yeah, of course, actual logic does have to come into play, unfortunately, and be like, nope, it's not him. Uh, but then when you're left with, you're just like, well, okay, that's kind of. Like, there's only five minutes left in this movie, and you just now 
revealed to us who this person is and why they're doing it. <laughs> I mean, I know that we're we're ripping on Friday the Thirteenth this episode, but I mean, like it's very much Friday the Thirteenth logic, where it's like it's a whodunit element, but we're not going to introduce the character that done it until the final five minutes. Is like that's not what a fucking whodunit is. Um, and this movie, it. It is a whodunit, but in the opposite direction, where like yes. it doesn't set itself up to let the audience know that it's a whodunit. We don't know that we're supposed to be guessing that that killer is anybody but Harry Warden yes. until and there's it, a reveal. And then we go, oh, shit, what? And it is somebody, at least, who's been in the movie the entire time and isn't yes. just introduced in the last part of the movie. However, you're just like... It doesn't make uh, any fucking sense. It doesn't make any sense at all. <laughs> it's so, like, dumb, where it's like... There's the reveal, like Scooby Doo esque reveal, like it would take the mask off. Why? It's it's Axel. Uh, and then, <laughs> Axel. <laughs> I would have gotten away with it too. Work for you meddling miners. Miners. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but then it's like reveal and then flashback. Yes. <laughs> Which is like Axel's internal flashback because we go into his head and we find out that Axel was a young child who witnessed his father get killed by Harry Warden 20 years ago. And yes. so then, uh, I mean, we, we've we skipped over a whole lot. We it, have. One of, <laughs> one of the things that's great about this movie, it, uh, understanding that it's a uh, Valentine's movie, you mentioned that uh, TJ has moved back into town after being gone for a long time. Axel is another character who works in the mines who is dating TJ's ex-girlfriend. And they started dating when TJ moved away, her thinking that he's, you know, gone for good. And now that he's back, we have a love triangle, which I thought was uh, what an incredible choice for a movie that is a Valentine's Day slasher. You have to have a love story element as a part of it. Like mm-hmm. It's a it's a Valentine's movie. It's like I thought that that was such a brilliant move. Like it, it's kind of fumbled a little bit. It's a little herky jerky here and there, sure. um, in in terms of the way that the triangleness actually works. But I was like, if they wouldn't have had that in there, and it's just a straightforward slasher, then it's just like it's a slasher that happens to fall in the day, like Friday the Thirteenth. This one actually includes an element that is playing up to the holiday, and I, it was great. Yeah. Oh, it was, and. And there's a really good scene. I think it's like they're hanging out in the junkyard where like TJ and Axel are like sharing a drink um, Mm -hmm. where it's like seems like they're coming to terms and they have a little bit of blowout. It's like for a while I was like, is this love triangle just going to be a love story? But it's between TJ and Axel. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So it like girl out (laughs) (laughs) for a minute. But uh, no, it's 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 really well played. It it adds something to the movie like it is. It Mm -hmm. adds not just like it being a. You know, introduce these characters, get killed off. Introduce these characters, get killed off. There's some actual conflict there, which was which is nice. You know, it's, right. it's um, again refreshing because so many of these movies, like most of the conflict they have is so like banal. Like there's nothing like really to it at all. So that it's really nice that there's uh, there's something here uh, for sure. I, I real quick, I, I thought of it and I didn't want to derail your thought, but that he's dressing around like uh, that Axel is dressing like Harry because he watched his father get killed by Harry. He's the original mm-hmm. Snake Eyes. Uh, oh, <laughs> <laughs> last week. <laughs> I'm no, gonna, yeah, that's a good. I'm going to take on this monkeyer and uh, <laughs> avenge. My, Avenger my something. Death. I mean, but it's weird. Avenge father's death, but it's also like I don't know. Maybe because. 
I mean, I guess I'm assuming it's because they're having the Valentine's Day Festival and that Valentine's mm-hmm. Day Festival the year after the incident is what busted Harry, <laughs> made Harry bust out of the asylum and right. kill his father in the first. So it's like, I, it, it that, doesn't. The added stress of like maybe losing his girlfriend I, and he just yeah. broke him. I'm not sure. I have no idea. It it doesn't not make sense, but it doesn't totally make sense. No, <laughs> like no, it it. Don't, I mean, it, it, like there is some logic there, but I don't think they played it correctly. Like it, for me, the fact that he is revealed to be just a crazy person at the end, like he he's lost his mind and he seems to be like in a fugue state when he's mm. actually dressed as Harry Warden and, and doing the attacks. So like. I don't know if he even realizes what he's doing, but like, it, to me, it's it seems like he was maybe um, taking this opportunity to dress as Harry Warden because he knew they were having the dance, and he was going to use that as a cover to kill TJ, and then take him out of the picture. There's no longer a love triangle. Now he's assuredly going to stay with his girlfriend, and everybody can be like, it was Harry Warden. Everybody saw Harry Warden around. Like He can use that as a cover. But it when it was revealed that he's just like lost his mind, I was like, ah, like that logic doesn't follow then. He doesn't seem to be doing it for any real reason other than he's crazy. So... It, it fumbled there a little bit. Like it, the who done it element is completely tacked on, simply because they made him crazy. They could have explained a little bit better. Absolutely, I agree. But it, they, they make up with for it with like we've already sort of been beating the drum for the campfire element. The the mm-hmm. kills are really good. The the scene with the uh, what is it? It's the like the crane or the scene with like the the swinging uh, like the hook the kill with the hook. Oh yeah uh, yeah yeah, it's so good. Like there's Ugh. a lot of great like great moments in this movie. Uh, and it, yeah. Well, and and like Harry Warden, even though it's just a guy in a mining suit, like they make some very good decisions in terms of I. What I found something that was really creepy is that he's in the mining suit. He's got the headlamp on. And when they're doing reverse shots, when he's attacking people, there's a flashlight shining in the face of whoever he's looking at. And I thought that that was such a brilliant choice to make your killer ever present. There's like the scene in um, we already said when he attacks the woman in the laundromat. And he's going at her and she falls over on her back and has her hand up and she's trying to block the light that's in her eyes so that she can see like where the next attack is going to be coming from. And to me, that's fucking terrifying to think like if somebody's flashing a flashlight in your face and you can't see what is going on and you know that they have a weapon in their other hand that's going to be coming at you. That's scary as fuck. So like there, there's just stuff like that where they, it could have just been a guy with a pickaxe, but the little headlamp, that little touch that that's right there to so you know who he's looking at on screen and where he's going and moving is mm-hmm. just a really it's sort of a, a jaws element of like the music plays and you know that he's near but you can't quite see where he's at he's obscured by something and in this case the edge of the frame is is our ocean absolutely i mean the anticipation is so much worse than the actual like impact right so right it's just like yeah they do a, they do a really good job with that it's it's really thoughtful like that's the thing it's like for for a movie that's on its face value, a knockoff of Friday the Thirteenth. It's a it's a better movie in every conceivable yes. way because they actually like put the time and the thought and the effort into it. So no, I right. I, I I yeah, I kind of low key love this movie. Not going to lie, I had a good time rewatching it. Oh yeah, if this movie had come out before Friday the Thirteenth and 
the before the MPA would have like butchered it. I think this movie would have been the one with twelve entries in the series, and Friday the Thirteenth would have probably yeah. fizzled out. Yes, but I'm I'm kind of thankful it is the other way around, you know, because it's like I, I I don't this 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 feels more like a one time concept. I mean, even Friday mm-hmm. the Thirteenth was a one time concept, so much so that you know, part two is when it's Jason and not Mrs. <laughs> Voorhees, and so it's like and an it's icon, better, but... and it's better. Yes, it oh yeah, part two is great. Uh, but like you know, an icon is born from that point, mm-hmm. so it's like, but you wouldn't have had that if if one didn't do so well, and so I'm like. I don't know. I don't know how many movies I would have wanted more with, like, you know, somebody running around with the Valentine's Day pickaxe because there's really only so much you could do, I feel yeah. like. So I'm glad they sort of they put it all into one movie. They showed everything they needed to show. They did great. Um, you know, as you mentioned up top, yes, there was a remake of this movie. The same year that the Friday the 13th remake came out, mind you. The almost month before. Month before. Yeah, this, the My Bloody Valentine came out in January. That was really weird. <laughs> weird choice. Where, whereas uh, Friday the 13th came out on February 13th, the mm-hmm. day before Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day, Day yeah. <laughs> Uh, uh sure uh, well and also they had both of the the supernatural alums they they had uh, uh is Jared Padalecki who's in the Friday the 13th movie and then uh uh what's his dick from uh he's just recently in the boys was in the the remake it doesn't matter it doesn't uh, matter i have this nostradamus like effect where for some reason if there's a mid to late 2000s horror movie and it stars some boring ass white dude who i've never seen or heard of before I always assume that they're from a CW show, and every single time, I'm fucking right. It just always mm-hmm. seems to be the case. Because <laughs> the other the other dude in the remake, it was on Dawson's Creek, uh, which was yes. the, on the WB before it was the CW. So it's like, of course, of course it was. Of course he was. <laughs> yep. yep. Oh, the rem- and when the 09 remake was, was much more successful uh, comparatively than the 81 movie. The 81 movie only grossed uh, like $1.2 million over what its budget was. Uh, the 09 remake uh, made uh, 21 million in its opening weekend and over 100 million worldwide on like a 10 million dollar budget. Like it was like, and the the producers bought the rights for My Bloody Valentine while they were trying to work out the new uh, offset 4K camera 3D technology. So they just they wanted to make a movie using 3D technology and were waiting for a property with which they could do that. And then they were just like, oh, sure, My Bloody Valentine. And they just just did that with it. So, like, the movie, in terms of, like, story and, like, everything that the original from 81 did right, this one does absolutely wrong. Uh, and it goes, like, completely the, the other direction in a lot of regards. Um, the characters, other than, like, Tom Atkins, uh, all kind of suck. Or, I guess... Um, uh, Roadhouse, uh, Roadhouse guy. What's yeah. his name? Uh, is in it, and he's really good too. John uh, Teague, um, Kevin Teague. Sorry, Kevin Teague. Kevin uh, Teague. Okay. Yeah. No, yeah. Kevin Teague is great in it. Uh, and Tom Atkins is always great in everything. But uh, the movie is like hokey. Uh, they they have like a Fight Club element. Uh, oh, the twist as part is even twist. That, I think the twist is dumb in the first one. Oh boy. Oh my god. Yeah. Oh boy. <laughs> hold, hold my beer. Says my bloody Valentine, two thousand nine. Um, no, it, it's just. I guess if you would have seen it in the theater with like a packed crowd or something, there's a whole lot of bullshit flying at your face in 3D. So for 
crowns back in 2009 that you know may have been like really fun thing to watch in the theater but like as a as a standalone like story or the as a horror movie it does not work for me in the slightest no uh it, it didn't for me and i i didn't see it in 2009 we ran it at the movie theater i worked at in in high school my senior year of high school and mm. we ran it i i think i just i had read somewhere that was like you know if it's not 3d don't bother and we didn't have 3D until about two months later. I think Monsters vs. Aliens, which is a DreamWorks movie, was what we mm. launched. And, of course, Avatar came out later that year. So everyone was gearing up to have that technology ready because James Cameron basically forced the industry to be able to play his movie the way it was meant to be seen. Um, but we didn't have it yet. I think it came out the same weekend that, like, the, the nationwide expansion of Gran Torino after mm. its, like, limited release. So I think I went and saw Gran Torino instead of My Bloody Valentine, which... Uh, it's a better movie than Black Black yeah, sure. 3D. That's, that's for sure. Um, no, and I, I'm glad you mentioned about, like, yes, they did try the new technology. I'm always appreciative when people try to push boundaries. So, like, I, I can't... I shouldn't be too mean, but the movie looks like somebody directed it with the motion smoothing on. Like, it looks yeah. like shit. Especially not really watching it in 3D. Like, watching it just at home, you're just like, this looks terrible. Like, Oh, um, yeah real bad but uh well, especially them are like 3d composites in a few of the shots and so it's just look it's just like 2d elements stacked on top of each other that if you are watching it in the right format and you have the glasses on might look kind of cool but if you're watching it on tv it's just like it looks like terrible ms paint that they just kind of <laughs> slapped over top of the frame and it, it's real bad yeah it's not good but the but the 1981 one is is very good uh yes. definitely a top tier slasher um uh, are the best Valentine's Day slasher? Not that there are many of them, but it, it is right. definitely the best one for sure. And uh, definitely should see it if you've made it this far somehow and you've not seen it. Go see it; it's really good. Yes, yeah, highly recommended. Um, what I can't recommend—I won't speak for you, but I—I don't know. I'll recommend it if you're curious about it. Uh, again, like I said, this is an oops all bangers episode. Um, we're gonna get into. Different, different time, different era, but uh, wearing its inspirations on its sleeve. Valentine from two thousand one. Will you dance with me? Dance with me? Dance with me? Dance. Remember the kid everybody ignored on Valentine's Day? Loser. Well, he remembers you. God, we were so horrible to that kid. What do you think happened to him? Which I say that because the movie is probably should have been produced in 1981, um, but then they like took basically that same premise and idea and then just did it in 2001 um, to very strange results. Yeah, uh, th- that could be said uh, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, if you feel different, please, no, please. No. No, I'm I'm kind of in in the same boat on that. In that, yes, it feels like a transplant, like uh, from the '80s. Like it, it feels like a movie that could have been made in the '80s, and it didn't. Like there'd be no difference other than like they have cell phones in mm-hmm. this movie. Like that's really the only thing that separates uh, this movie and and the original My Bloody Valentine in terms of like setting. But they could have easily done it then. Um, 
And this was a movie that I was very surprised by how much I was actually into it. Uh, and, I, and I apologize somewhat only because I know we usually have our segues where it's like, oh, speaking of and like, you know, whatever. But it's like, that's eh, kind of hard to do with this one because it's I started uh, one and kind of abandoned it because I was like, <laughs> usually I say like, well, here's the next bullshit. And it's like, well, I mean, there's something here to talk about. <laughs> well, at, at face value, when you said because you you had watched this movie before you had seen this movie mm-hmm. before you picked it. I, I had not. I This was the first time watched for me. I'd never seen this movie before. And I think when we were when you were talking about doing this episode and you brought the movie up, I think I like either IMDb or Letterboxd, I like looked at it and like at face value, I was like ready to agree with that sentiment. Like I saw the poster <laughs> and the way they're standing. I was like, oh, no, this is like a post, you know, one of the, it's the era of post scream. Like mm. it's going to have a meta element. I bet Kevin Williamson was an executive producer on this somehow. Um, like I, I just expected it to be like one of those really bad, like where the genre was at a crossroads or scream had done so good at like deconstructing the tropes. And then every slasher had to have an element of like winking at you, but like they, they just didn't know what to do. And so, you know, about 20 minutes into Valentine, like I was immediately sort of like energized when I realized like, Oh, this isn't trying to be like a deconstruction. This isn't trying to be meta. This is a very blunt as the <laughs> like blunt as a sledgehammer like slasher movie. And I found that refreshing for a movie that I ha- anticipated being like the umpteenth like attempt to be a scream knockoff. Right. Um and, you know, so much so to the point where it's like e- even they even tried to kind of do the scream thing but in earnest. Like, you know, like, for example, and spoilers, I'm going to say spoilers. If you haven't yep. seen the movie, you could check it out uh, if you would like yeah. to. Um, but, uh, you know, Scream, obviously, you know, Drew Barrymore opening scene in the movie. She was heavily featured in the marketing. She's on the poster uh, and she's killed in the first 10 minutes of the movie. And it's like, oh, mm-hmm. shit. So they do the, the, the Hitchcock thing. OK, cool. They kind of do that in earnest with this movie. With It's Catherine Heigl. Um, mm-hmm. You know, she's like a pre, you know, med student. And, uh, you know, and she's killed, like, in the, like, uh, not the morgue, but, or is the morgue? It is the morgue. It yes, is the morgue. this is the yeah. morgue. Yeah, right. So, and because she is, uh, at the time, because she was on some show, I can't remember which one, but, um, but she was, like, other than Denise Richards and David Boreanaz, she was, like, the next famous person in this cast, and oh, she's yeah. killed in the first 10 minutes of the movie. So I was like, oh, okay. Uh, so I was like sort of immediately on board. And then I was sort of on board the way that the rest of the cast were. Because I felt like I got really heavy. It's not as good as this movie. And I I do not want to oversell it for people. I cannot stress that enough. I'm really not trying to oversell it. But I did get some pretty heavy Black Christmas vibes from the way that the cast are so... Like the, their interplay is so bickering and mm-hmm. bitchy and like just downright rotten to each other <laughs> that like I was really on board <laughs> that element that I'm like oh okay. all these people suck and they kind of yes. deserve it <laughs> and the but I think the movie knows that but it's not trying to wink at you about it it's it's I, and and then there's a but there's a I will say there's a element and I, I don't want to I'm probably putting a lot of carts before a lot of horses here <laughs> but I uh I feel like there's a statement trying to be made about, like, 
shitty men. <laughs> like that's an undercurrent oh, yeah. throughout the movie. Um, because I guess like we should probably set up the opening, even the opening before Catherine Heigl's death in this movie, that mm-hmm. um, that there's a uh, nerdy kid whose name is escaping me at the moment. Uh, it is. I just called him Jeffrey Dahmer because of the way that he looked uh, in the flashback. Um, but I did write his name down somewhere. Uh, it's Jeremy. Jeremy Melton. Jeremy, Jeremy Melton, Melton was a kid's name. He was a geek kid. And we see him sort of individually ask our who, who grow up to be our leading ladies uh, to dance. And they say, um, you know, they all say like, oh, no, uh, like that. And they're doing it kind of in a mean way. Basically, like, you're the geeky kid. Like, no, we're not doing it. Um, and then he asks, uh, he asks Dorothy uh, to dance. Um, and she's uh, she's a girl who's like a little bit on the heavier side. Uh, mm-hmm. And so they dance and I, they kiss. And then all the other like shitty kids at school um, like notice, like, like go sneak under the bleachers, see that they're doing it, call it out. And then uh, they ask Dorothy if he was like basically like assaulting her or mm-hmm. anything like that. And she says she panics and says yes. And so they like, you know, they so they bully him they bully him they, out of the place they, it's it's pretty mean it's, <laughs> it's really fucking mean they strip his clothes off and then kick the shit out of him in front of all of the the school like everybody at the dance just circles around and watch him beat the fuck out of this this poor kid and like you said they went around and asked all these girls and then they rejected him when he asked them that they wanted to dance they rejected him like in the meanest fucking way like one of the girls is like i would rather be boiled boiled to death <laughs> and like the other girl just goes ew yes <laughs> well that's and well and that's the thing i feel like there's an element that's a little undercooked in the movie i think it's an interesting setup but i don't think they follow through enough with it where they're like you said they're really really mean to jeremy and so therefore it's like the sentence almost like 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 a sort of like karmic sentence is that all the dudes they've ended up with in their later in life are like total scumbags. Like, oh, uh, okay. you know, like Catherine Heigl's dating that guy who's referring to himself in the third person, or she goes on a date with that guy. Yeah. Who's like a total fucking tool. Um, yeah. Which does anybody actually refer to themselves in the third? Per- I've never met anybody who refers to themselves in the third. Person. I haven't, but this dude does apparently the, um, oh, hard. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's the, um, then there's like the art gallery like dude who like mm-hmm. uh, is macking with uh, is it uh, Lily I want to say and uh, who's played by Jessica uh, Coffiel hopefully I'm pronouncing that correctly mm-hmm. and uh, then like the other woman comes in because like he had invited her to basically have a threesome but she didn't know it uh, yeah and she's like what the fuck dude like uh, <laughs> and um same with the with the police detective as well who's like thinks that uh thinks that denise richards is coming on strong to him and like mm-hmm. this is and uh or the uh there's the other guy there's the scam artist guy who's like trying to scam oh yeah, uh, yeah. dorothy uh who is played by jessica capshaw as older um i've never watched gray's anatomy but just to clear the air we have two gray's anatomy alum this katherine heigl and jessica capshaw um but uh so it's like we have all these just shitty dudes except for and then this is where they try to instill the whodunit element except for adam uh who's played by bones himself dr Mm boreanis or uh, david boreanis dr Mm -hmm. boreanis 
Dr. Boreanaz. David Boreanaz plays Dr. Bones. Sorry, I'm getting confused. Um, but he's like, he's mostly nice. It's just that he's an alcoholic. Um, yeah. And so it's like he's got his 30-day chip, I believe. Um, though he's a bit more believable than Dan Haggerty uh, in Elves when he says he has <laughs> yeah. 30-day chip. I was drinking it all day. <laughs> we actually kind of believe this guy. Um, yeah. But, like, he's he's kind of a nice guy. And so it's like the movie's heavily insinuating, like, towards the fact that he's the actual, uh, that he's the actual killer. Like, he's the grown-up right. Jeremy. Um, because... Uh, his parents have died like Jeremy's nobody's seen this guy in years he's like last was at a mental asylum um and it, it's it's kind of dumb like it was actually at the police station when they're like here's the last known photo of him and they're trying to do like the face morph technology to see yeah. what he might look like now and it's like uh it's it's really silly I'm sorry I've gone on way too long what what did you think of Valentine? <laughs> well, especially because David Boreas doesn't look anything like that composite. And so they, even no. the detective's like, he could have gotten plastic surgery. He's like, oh, so this entire scene is pointless then? Awesome. This, thanks for bringing me down. All it um, is is literally for that scene of like him to tell everyone to leave except Denise Richards and be like, we got to talk about the sexual tension. And then oh she says God. something like shitty to him. Like, yeah, you know, I, I got to give credit to like. Denise Richards, in this case, at like much like with Undercover Brother, understood the assignment of sure. what she was told to do. I actually think she's low key, like enjoy pretty pretty funny in this movie. <laughs> oh sure, yeah. I mean, as funny as as Denise Richards can be, and like she, like she does fine. I think pretty much everybody does fine in the movie. I th- I think the movie ultimately falls apart for a a, a couple of reasons for me. Um, I. The whole whodunit element, I think, is fumbled pretty terribly um, because every man in the movie is an alien except for David Boreanaz. And so it's just like, like okay, like a, a red herring character will show up every once in a while and like, okay, that guy's, that guy's the obvious choice, so I'm not going to pick him. But from this cast of characters, you know, who who is it going to be? And as much as this is definitely inspired by 80s slasher movies, I mean, like, we basically have a Michael Myers killer dressed in all black, full head uh, Cupid mask walking around slashing people up with a knife. Um, very <clears throat> of its era 80s slasher. But put into, I mean, even the, the plot as well of young kid gets bullied several years later turns into a killer i mean that's going to get reused in x-ray that we're going to like talk about or terror train that we talked about this is better than terror train though i it's better than terror train yes i think so too um but setting all of that up and then making david boreanis the only normal man in the movie is like okay, well, now you flipped it and made it opposite, where, like, one creepy guy is too obvious to be the killer. Now the only normal human being in the movie is like, okay, well, it's too obvious for him to be the killer, but he's going to be the killer, isn't he? And then, ultimately, he is, but they also, because of an editing choice, fumbled the reveal pretty badly of of him being the killer. Or, or like, they made it really... Uh, convoluted for no reason at all and 
we can get into that. I mean, like, I, I mean, I guess it's already ultimately spoiled because we've said that David Boreanaz is the killer that yeah. he's Jeremy Milton. Well, it's but, the last shot of the movie because they give away, like, because um, this happens in the cold open with him as a kid when he gets nervous or something happens, his nose starts to bleed, and right. so that's some, that's like the calling card. So every time somebody is murdered in this movie by the killer, his his nose bleeds. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you're right because they do make a convoluted edit because they basically uh, he's you know he's at the party. There's like a Valentine's Day party that they're having. Um, also, blasting disturbed on the soundtrack. This wouldn't yep. be an early 2000s movie <laughs> if it didn't have new metal. I looked at the soundtrack. There is so much more new metal on the soundtrack that's in, actually in the movie itself. But it oh, is, okay. It is wall to wall new metal. Um, but um, but Kate. Uh, Marley Shelton's character. That's the the person who's uh, David Boreanaz is. They're dating, and mm-hmm. so uh, she makes she starts connecting the dots. Essentially, that uh, that we had already done all along. That's like, well, okay, it's got to be him. And so it's like he's he's upset at the party. He's sort of like he's just pounding booze, like 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 going off the deep end. And he sort of like you know starts coming forth in a in a pretty like threatening demeanor aggressive uh, aggressive yeah. uh, way and so she's like running um and she's like so then she has a tussle with the mask killer which we assume that okay he went and put on the mask and then it's revealed uh in that moment after the tussle i think after she shoots uh shoots the killer well, they tumble down the stairs and then after they tumble down the stairs, the killer is is motionless on the back, and then does like the scream thing where the killer sits up, uh, or the Michael Myers thing, uh, like I mentioned earlier, sits up, and then David Boreanaz is there with a gun and just shoots the fuck out of the killer, uh, revealing that like, oh, it's not David Boreanaz in the suit because he's it was, right there. It was Dorothy. It was uh, Dorothy because she she had this sort of like. She has a spat with them like earlier in the party, essentially, that was like, you know, you were the basically like you were the sexy one to Denise Richards and you're the fun one and I was the fat one. And so she like just carrying carrying a chip on her shoulder over uh, over that. And so the the movie, you're right, it sort of fumbles like because that element and then you're like, okay, maybe I could see it that she's you know you using that like kerfuffle from her youth of basically sending this kid to a mental institution in a moment of panic um mm-hmm. to exact her revenge but like it just it just doesn't it doesn't hold water like it, at all uh no. and then of course like there's like a reconciliation uh between uh david boreanaz and between um between kate and then, like, as they're doing, he's like, oh, it'll be okay, it'll be okay. And his drop of blood comes out of yep. his nose and then credits. <laughs> Which, and the, so there's a, there's a deleted scene wherein at the party, Dorothy realizes that David Boreanaz is the killer. They have a tussle and he knocks her out and he puts her into the killer's suit. So when Kate is running up the stairs and she goes through that door, she goes through that door at the exact moment that Dorothy is woken up and breaks out of like her binds or she was in a closet or something. So they run into each other on accident and go tumbling down the stairs and then David Boreanaz shoots her. And so when he takes the mask off of her, if you look, there's a bruise that's on her the side of her head that uh. wasn't there earlier when they were having the argument. 
which is supposed to be like a cue that she had been attacked and put into the suit, but they cut out that entire scene uh, because they didn't want to reveal yet that David Boreanaz was the killer. They wanted to wait for the last shot to be like, oh, that's the surprise that he's the killer. But because they cut all of that out, now we're just like, why the fuck was Dorothy dressed as the killer? Yes, there's a logic and in running, a G- like there's a geographical error there that we're yes. like, wait, huh, what? Huh? And the movie's hoping that you'll notice the bruise and connect those dots, but like, uh, like I appreciate them attempting the uh, some subtlety, but in a movie that's this so or like bluntly stupid, like you, you can't do that like uh and i i get that they're uh, you know again once i said once again like to i get that they you know dorothy had a spat with her friends at the party so it's like i get where they were trying to sort of take the audience one way (laughs) into that but it just again it doesn't it doesn't like work so you're you're right the twist gets kerfuffled a hundred percent the fact that every man is an a like i i see what they're doing with the the with the men but it like but it just needed a more deft hand like i i've probably referenced this before but like anytime i always think of like like the perfect sort of distillation of that is like the uh the famous uh leg crossing scene in basic instinct where mm-hmm. like the wayne knight and all the other dudes are like sweating and like like they've never seen a woman before and they're just like this is like hot in the collar and like yeah. grunting essentially and it's like but it's like that's Paul Verhoeven. This movie wasn't going to have a Paul Verhoeven to, to pull that sort of like a uh, 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 critical analysis of the male psyche off, unfortunately. So no, um, I th- but I appreciate I appreciate that it's there though. I did not expect it from a dumb like sort of like slasher movie like this. So it's like I think there's attempts. I appreciate its throwback like quality. It's mm-hmm. it's very unpretentious. It's not trying to be anything more than it is. I think it's pretty successful at that, though I I think you might have some things to say because I think that, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, this faced some of the problems that My Bloody Valentine did in terms of the MPAA's wrath. Yeah. Uh, interesting, interestingly enough, uh, it wasn't so much the MPAA as it was Warner Brothers and uh, oh. the distributors. So very similar to My Bloody Valentine, um, possibly being you know under extra scrutiny because of the recent passing or recent assassination, I should say, of John uh, Lennon. Um, this movie was shot with more gore in it and... Um, interestingly enough, this movie is based on a novel that is of the same title, Valentine. Um, mm. But it's 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 a little bit different. It's more of a thriller, a thriller mystery novel. Uh, and the they the producers bought basically the rights to the title because they liked the title, and then they had uh, the script reworked by Wayne and Donna Powers. Uh, originally, Wayne was going to be the director, um, and they made it. Uh, closer to Scream where we were following five college girls on a college campus um, mm. they weren't able to get the, the it off the ground it, it wasn't working and so then they uh, had the script get rewritten by Gretchen J. Berg and Aaron Harberts um, and Wayne dropped out of being the director so then they went to uh, Richard Kelly actually and asked him if he wanted to shoot it of course he decided to do Donnie Darko instead um, so then the script fell to uh, Jamie Blinks, uh, who at this point in time 
His most famous production was the 1998 film Urban Legend, uh, which coming soon to a good bad what near you. Uh, at some point in the future, we will talk about that movie. Um, it might be similarly for you a uh, Valentine situation, although it is a big scream ripoff, like on the nose scream ripoff instead of it being uh, a send up from the 80s slasher. Um, and it's just as if not more stupid than this movie. Um, so you can kind of see where it, it comes across. But he like urban legend is very bloody. There, there's there's a lot of gore scenes in it. And so, the, of course, he got hired for this. Warner Brothers was very adamant about we don't want a thriller. We want it to be a slasher. And so then Jamie understanding the assignment it's like okay I'm going to make it a slasher and made it gave it back to them and then Warner Brothers said uh, this is too soon after the Columbine killings oh, for us to be releasing yeah. a movie that's this violent so now you need to cut all that out so in the movie it's like that is one there hasn't been a re-release of this movie that has all of the gore stuff put back into it because the studio has no interest in revisiting this movie at all they did it did tanked pretty horribly um it has its fans sure but like not enough for them to be like we're gonna make an alternate gore cut and who knows if that footage even really exists uh there is some that you can find on the deleted scenes but it's not the whole shots in their entirety it's still it's still cut up uh it's too bad because i know there is a blu-ray out there i think also from screen mm-hmm. factory i want to say but um yeah yeah, because they've. I think Warner's has sort of opened up their vault to like some of those because they also just put out. Uh, they just put out a awesome Blu-ray of uh, Brian De Palma's Femme Fatale, which mm. also coming soon to a good bad what <laughs> near you. Um, but um, yeah, that's a shame. But I, I understand it. Like you said, this movie was uh, definitely a bomb. It did not do very well. It was not well received. It was pretty thrashed critically, and nobody really had any interest to go see it. It was in that weird. Like we said, that sort of weird period where it's like the slasher movie was post-Scream. So it's like, what do we do with it? Like, can we even make a straightforward one without like having to sort of wink? This is that like little tiny window that was like post-Scream, but pre like Dark Castle and pre like Saw and Hostel. Mm-hmm. Where it was just like, uh, I, don't, I don't know. Or even pre like uh, The Ring, because like the J-Horror remakes were definitely a big thing. But this came out a year before. Yeah, The, the Ring, Ring was that 2002? Was it was. The... Yep. Yeah, yeah. So it's just a very weird spot for mainstream horror in 2001. And Valentine exists in this just little tiny sliver of like of no man's land, essentially. But uh, like you said, it sort of found its fans. Um, I mm. Against all odds <laughs> apparently i am one of them uh i did not think i would like this movie that much um but i was surprisingly into it i mean it, you know it's a slasher throwback uh you know black gloved killers there's like a giallo mm-hmm. element to the movie as well the mask i thought looked like a cross between deep red and uh four flies of gray velvet of course oh sure dario argento movies though i made the mistake of like peeping a couple reviews like as I was watching it, or maybe as I paused to go get some water, and one from USA Today noted that the Cupid mask looks like Roger Ebert, (laughs) and I I couldn't unsee it. (laughs) I was like, yeah, I actually, I could see it. (laughs) With Roger Ebert's attitude towards slasher movies, I don't think he would have been within a mile of, of any of this. First of all, it's disgusting. Secondly, it's so appallingly lacking in imagination. You would think that they could at least come up with a new disgusting angle. No, but what, man, wouldn't that have been like an interesting like commentary of like a like a, a horror hating film critic, uh, you know, like 
uh, I don't know. Yeah, maybe that movie could still be made. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Write this down. Write this down. Um, <laughs> Open up Final Draft uh, <laughs> and go. But uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, Chris. <laughs> no, no, sorry. I, I was I was just going to say, I don't have too much more to say. Like you said, it, it's in no man's land. It's got weird critiques of the dating scene at the time in 2001 like they're watching uh like the vhs tapes like the home my name's mark and i like to ride horses like that kind of bullshit and then then you decide who you want to date they have a speed dating scene like you said speed dating scene yeah 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 so like it's it's just very very weird it's very much a product of its time um i mostly just doesn't work for me but like you said it does have its fans um i I can recommend that people watch it because it might be your bag it just wasn't mine i did want to call out before we pivot out of it that we talked about all those alien men but one of the alien men that we didn't talk about is a guy that denise richards meets at a party and he says let me take you upstairs because i want to show you a surprise and she's like okay and then they go upstairs to this room and then without saying a word he just undoes his pants drops his pants to his knees and like points at his dick and it's like Huh? Yes. Like, you brought me up here to show me your penis. He's like, yeah. And she just like laughs, laughs in like, his face. <laughs> like, I, was, like, I was laughing so fucking hard. Like I got a surprise for you, and then just silently pull your dick out. <laughs> it's like the precursor to Mandy. She just like laughs in his face about it. She's like, really? And then she, yeah, then she ties him up to the bed, uh, and because uh, well, I think his phrase is. He said, tells her to wax it. And oh, yeah, so yeah. he ties her up or ties him up, puts a blindfold on him. And uh, she goes, oh, you want me to wax it? There's a candle there. So she, she pours the hot, hot candle wax, wax on, his on dong. him yeah. and then walks away and just leaves him, uh, just leaves him there. And I was like, that's great. Oh. <laughs> yeah. To get found later with his dick encased in dried wax. Um, <laughs> I just had to call this, that out because that baby laughed so fucking hard. Maybe this should have been called House of Wax. Oh, I haven't seen House of Wax actually. Maybe we should put it on the list. Oh, really? Remake or original or either? Either. Oh, the remakes actually. The original's what it is. Uh, it's you know William Castle and uh, sure. but but like uh, is it the Paris rem- Hilton? It's in the remake. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and also the remake is more of a remake of Tourist Trap, despite being called House oh. of Wax. Uh, but. It, it's actually well, now not, I'm interested. It's actually not too bad as far as these uh, mid mid to late aughts horror remakes are concerned. So, um, so oh, I don't man. know. Yeah, throw it in. We'll figure it out somewhere. We can uh, throw it in. Um, but before this episode turns into a three hour adventure, we do got to pivot out and yes, move to X ray. You think you could get that result for me so I could be on my way and I wouldn't have to hang around here all day? I'm afraid we're going to have to keep you here for a while. I'm going to be a little bit late, sweetheart. Get undressed. Don't open the door for anybody, okay? What is going on here? Somebody's trying to play a con job on you. I wonder who it is. Um, because I just took a peek at my notes and holy fuck, I wrote down a lot about, I'm not going to like bring out all the the stuff that I actually wrote down about this movie, but I, I know that you had seen this before, right? Cause it, it was a vinegar syndrome release uh, last year, correct? Yes. This came yeah. out last year, courtesy of vinegar syndrome. I guess apparently it did have a screen factory release prior, oh. like, like a few years ago. And I, that just, 
I feel like that just happens these days. The the la- the rights lapse, and then technology is a little better, and uh, someone else picks up the rights, and uh, you sure. know, we're off to the races. But yes, this came in a two pack on 4K UHD with a movie called Schizoid, um, and yeah, so that's how I watched it uh, last year for the first time, and then watched it again for this episode. This was the first time watch for me. I was going to order the the Vinegar, Vinegar Syndrome um, Blu-ray, but I, I wasn't sure if it was going to get here on time. And then I'm always skeptical about like, what if I order it and I don't like it and I just have like a Blu-ray on my shelf that I'm never going to watch again. So then I was like, okay, I'll just stream it and then, you know, see if I like it. And then if I like it, uh, I'll order the Blu-ray. As soon as this movie was over and I was able to stop laughing and applauding, I jumped on my phone and immediately bought the schizoid x-ray double double feature because holy shit what a picture this might be one of my favorite like like bad slasher movies of all time I, I'm a huge <laughs> fan of x-ray now I'm happy to hear that you're a huge fan of the movie because uh, I, I when you said you'd mentioned it like when you picked it that you hadn't seen it and so I was like, well, it's definitely a what. Uh, there's there's <laughs> yes. no there's no there's no denying that. But I, I you know I just I didn't know how you would feel to it. But the, the seeing that this is like t- to you what like I don't know like pieces is to me or something like that is oh. like <laughs> yeah. This is probably my 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 personal pieces. Uh, <laughs> and and we'll get into why. I mean, the first thing. So just to get this out of the way, I will just read the synopsis for anyone who's unfamiliar. Uh, X-ray, aka Hospital Massacre, aka Be My Valentine or Else, aka Ward Thirteen, um, is about 19 years after a scorned boy murders a rival child on Valentine's Day. The target of his affections goes to the hospital for a routine checkup. However, this appointment is quickly derailed by a deranged scrub-clad killer who swaps out her test results to delay her discharge and allow him ample time to up the body count. Um, incomprehensible is a word that I use fairly often when we're talking about what's, and I think there's a fine line of uh, of when a movie or a plot being incomprehensible just becomes frustrating because you're like, what the fuck is going on? Get me to the point of like, who should I be attached to? What should I be watching? And there is a, a precipice that once it goes over it, if it's early enough in the movie, I think for me, if it's early enough in the movie that it just goes flying over this cliff's edge and I'm able to just go like, okay, fuck it. None of this is going to make sense. So just look at the flashing images and try and make your own head cannon. Then it becomes like, like it's an interactive game for me to be a part of the movie. And that is how I felt watching X-Ray as I was, was like desperately trying to piece together. Who is this? Where are we going? Why is this? And then after like 25 minutes, I was like, okay, the movie doesn't fucking care clearly. So here we go this is whatever we're just gonna have fun and boy is it fun i was gonna say interactive game might be the best description for this movie because it feels like if you take like a wrong turn it affects the plot of the movie <laughs> <Where> like <laughs> yeah. little plot of the movie there is it's like i think the first time i saw this i joked that this was called uh, this should have been called uh barbie benton and the no good horrible terrible really bad day <laughs> it's, it's just like it's nonsense it's it's nonsense plotting and nonsense of like you know when you watch movies like this you you automatically accept like that you're going to have to 
like take leaps in logic and like i'm and mm-hmm. i'm okay with that i'm okay these movies don't have to be airtight by any stretch of the word but when you start introducing things that you're like okay like when you're like, have you been to a hospital before? <laughs> Boaz Davidson. <laughs> when you're just like, you're like, okay, this is not how hospitals work in any capacity. So automatically, number one, you're just like, just like you're you're screwed for the word go. But yet, this movie, it's a it's a feature, not a bug, because mm-hmm. it's just like the movie's just just oddball from the very beginning, and and the movie really wastes no time getting to that point there's the cold open that you're referring to um where yes where the uh kid kills the other kid puts on a coat coat hook coat rack um but it's also immediately wrong because before we even get to that scene like we get an establishing shot of of a of a house and then a title card that comes up that says susan's house 1961 and we're like who the fuck is Susan? Like we're we're immediately introduced to the 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 movie assuming that you're privy to information that it hasn't given you yet. So then we cut inside and we're like, okay, I assume that little girl is Susan, or maybe Susan's her mom. Like we're still now we're already behind the plot of the movie and trying to catch up with where we're going. So like from frame one, you're already lost in trying to catch up with like what, what information are you trying to delve out to me? And then it just gets stranger and stranger as it goes. Well, especially, yes, it does. Uh, because you're like, okay, like you, yeah, you don't understand, but then you, but then you quickly understand. You're like, okay, it's the girl. And then Mm -hmm. it's like this person's, this other kid is jealous. He's psychotic. He kills the other boy. They're just playing the train set. Like yep. that's all they're doing, and <laughs> just then. Well, he like oh. breaks. No, he doesn't break, and he knocks on the door and leaves a Valentine's card yes. for her. That says like from Harold, which I just wanted to point out. Uh, Harry in uh, My Bloody Valentine. Harold is uh, the the killer in this one, so there's a bit of a through line. This came uh, out a but, year after My Bloody Valentine, right? Uh, yes. So eighty two. Uh, well. This came out in in eighty one in Mexico and then eighty two in the U S. So either they like had a turn and burn uh, production and they were inspired by my, my bloody Valentine, which is totally possible, or I just I don't know, parallel thinking. I'm not exactly sure. I mean, this, this is Golden Globus. We're talking about anything is possible. <laughs> <laughs> this is any literally anything is possible. It was it was cocaine. The answer was cocaine yes. that you're looking Co-produced for. Produced by cocaine. <laughs> so, um, and then it's it's odd because it's like you've seen movies, so you're like you can infer a lot of information even when it's not making sense. Where it's like we cut to present day. And we were introduced to Susan as an adult, who's played by Barbie Benton. And so it's like, we're okay. We're like, okay, this is the girl. This is, you know, her. Um, and it's like, that's a pretty horrific thing. She witnesses a child. She seems pretty unfazed by She's uh, pretty that. well adjusted. She's pretty yeah. well adjusted. Yeah. <laughs> She's got a daughter, uh, an ex-husband, a uh, current, like, nice guy boyfriend mm-hmm. um, that, like, and it's already automatically odd. She's just, like, sit, standing outside. And her ex-husband shows up with her daughter and uh, is like, you know, I, I need to drop her off early. He's like, she's like, well, I still have an appointment, so I need you to, you know, take her home and I'll be I'll be there in an hour or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, then gets picked up by her current boyfriend, who's like 
the nicest, most patient guy. I don't know how long he sits outside that hospital before he ultimately goes in. Two hours. It's a long he, time. He comes inside later on and he says two hours, but it has gone from like 10 o'clock in the morning to like middle of the night. Like he took a nap in his car and he comes in and he's like, uh, I'm here to see uh, if Susan's here. Uh, she's been uh, admitted. I've been waiting outside for two hours. Like, fuck you, two hours. <laughs> Uh, unless Clearly unless half a day passed unless it was winter solstice and it was like you know from <laughs> three to five or you know whatever but it's, but. i mean it's it's february 14th so the latest it can be is like oh you're right because it's valentine's day yeah. <laughs> see this movie already made me lose the thread of this episode because <laughs> i'm trying to figure it out uh so yes so she goes in to get test results which by the way did we ever figure out what she's getting tested for all i know is that it's a formality for her new yeah. job that's all yeah, I her know. new job wanted her to get tests for like i don't know what her new job was that you need to go in and get a full like ct scan and and shit like uh, why what i don't know what exactly what she's applying for but yeah she goes in to get her test results and the killer just keeps switching the test results and every doctor who looks at it's just like oh my god concerns yeah like oh like, this, this lady's <laughs> fucked up and uh, they're like when was your last uh last scan like six months ago it's like we need to have some more tests. We need yeah. to have you, we need to hold you for observation. And it's just like and we never see it. We never like well, we see one actually. We see one where mm-hmm. it's just like a bunch of like like squiggly lines. I, I can't read an X ray, so I have no idea. But <laughs> no, that's another thing is nobody ever tells her like your like your test results are, you know, X or Y. Like people refuse to give her a diagnosis or any reason why it is that they're holding her. They just say that they need to do more tests, which is like you can't fucking do that. Like you no. have to tell the patient what is wrong and what you're testing them for. Well, and that kind of goes into the sort of like alien element of the movie is that like we've talked about this before of like when you're writing like a like a chamber piece like this, you're like, okay, you need to have a reason for the characters to get them in a place and then get them to stay there. So like I see what the intent is but the like but instead of following like in a linear path it's like a zigzag and then a figure eight and then it's like (laughs) it's just it makes they're like they're just coming they're just continuously making up shit to keep her in this hospital and it like it it makes no damn sense they're also uh (laughs) they're also uh, speaking of my bloody Valentine, there's the guys in gas masks because they're fumigating one of the yes. floors. <laughs> yes, like, I, I, and that was that's the thing that makes me like really think that that probably was an homage because I mean like three guys in like the almost exact mask, like the big glass eyes mm-hmm. and the and the one uh, uh, like filter down here, very much look like the Harry Warden mask. The main killer in this movie is named Harold or Harry, so it like it. It probably was uh, a reference, but the movies came like they production must have been just as quick as what it was on My Bloody Valentine in order to get it out. I mean, all they needed was like a semi uh, abandoned building that they could make look like a hospital. <laughs> it, it was an abandoned hospital. It was the Hollywood Presbyterian Medical Center. Well, there you go. They probably shot this in like 10 days. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, that, that, I mean, they must have like wrote it and everything in 10 days, I think. But the... they, they go up and those, those guys, they're standing right outside the elevator. They're not working. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> 
shoulder shoulder to shoulder in a line face to the door waiting for anybody who happens to come up to the ninth floor and then after that jump scare they're gone from the movie we never see those guys again no no she's like she's like uh she's like uh they're like yeah we're fumigating up here she's like i was told to go to the eighth floor this is the ninth floor yeah, you better get out of here, honey. Before you yeah, get- there's, it's a big lit number, so I don't know how you fucked that up, Barbie Benton. Like you know what you press, but she looks over and goes, "Oh, okay, eighth floor," and then goes down. But this is where the movie gets fucking weird. I mean, it's already fucking weird. But she was we- too distracted by the guy eating the cheeseburger or the hot dog <laughs> the or whatever he's eating. <laughs> He's eating. He's eating a uh, ketchup burger. Because uh, she gets in the elevator, and she's going up, and she looks over, and there's a guy like standing up, leaning against the wall, with clearly ketchup smeared on the corner of his mouth. And when I saw that, I was like, "Well, that's not blood. That's this is a fake out or whatever." And then we get a cut to like uh, ketchup falling down onto, like splattering on her shoe, and I was like oh shit, maybe the blood effects in this movie are that bad and they just use ketchup and this guy actually is dead. And then it is revealed that it is a fake out. The guy wakes up and pulls up in his hand like two pieces of bread with ketchup leaking through his fingers and running down the back. Like He just filled two pieces of bread with ketchup and he takes a big old slobbery bite of it and squirts more ketchup out. I was like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> there's so many there's so many questions like i that was the first moment of the movie where i had like a, a maniacal like laugh where the movie like broke me <laughs> I, I mean it's all you could do right like like this this movie will make you feel like like an insane patient like i felt like it, i was losing my mind <laughs> it just it makes any sense the only thing that really like and i, I mean we even say it makes sense the only thing that it really like achieves is like uh is like really good like death scenes like there's a lot of good like hospital related like death sequences especially the one with the uh with the acid uh -hmm. where the guy's face goes in an acid bath and we see the reverse of him all like boils and like pimpled and uh it's it's great like there's there's moments like that that are just like fantastic while Barbie Benton gets through this like rat in a maze of a hospital that makes like bizarre world that makes no damn sense. <laughs> well, and that guy that gets the acid on the face is our first, uh, our first red herring. Cause yes. much like Valentine, every man in this movie, except for the man who ends up being the killer in the end is an alien and is set up to be like potentially violent or like they're creepy or whatever, except for the guy who is eventually revealed to be our killer. Um, but when she goes into the hospital in the lobby, when she's like, hi, I'm here for my test results. My name is Susan. You know, I have an appointment or whatever. Standing behind the receptionist at the front desk is a dude that looks like Cosmo Kramer from UHF. Like he's, he's got his mop. He's wearing the exact same like tight, high-waisted pants. Stanley Spadowski. <laughs> yes. He's Stanley, Sp- Stanley Spadowski is just staring at Barbie Benton, like, like big white eyes. And she goes walking off and he comes out from behind the, the counter and watches her go all the way down the hallway and so we're like okay that's the first like creepy character that we've seen in the movie so far we get a cut to um susan's uh doctor dr jacobs who's up in her office she gets a call and someone's like hey we need you to go to the ninth floor which 
she works in the building, she should know that the ninth floor is being fumigated and is shut down. You would think that she's aware as a doctor that has residency in this building that there's an entire floor that has a bunch of workers on it. But apparently she's like, okay, see you on the ninth floor. And she heads up there. This is when we get the scene of her in the elevator with the ketchup sandwich. Uh, I, I started calling him Jake Torrance because he looks kind of like uh, 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 Jack Torrance a little bit. <laughs> he's, the, um, he's, the, he's, he's, he's the little known brother of Jack's. Yeah, he's, he's the twice removed brother, Jake Torrance. Um, but she has that encounter with him in the... Um, elevator and we get a shot of the killer's hand wearing uh, surgical gloves reach over and pull a lever that's apparently just on the wall uh, in the like on the floor of the hospital that allows you to start and stop the it's a manual brake lever for the elevator that's just in the hallway um I don't think that they make those, uh, but if they do, they need to stop because that is the dumbest thing. Why is there a manual brake lever for the elevator that's just on the floor accessible for anybody to touch? But he pulls that and traps Barbie Benton in the elevator. While that's going on, her doctor arrives on the ninth floor, walks out of her elevator into noxious fumes because they are fumigating and goes, wait a minute. Where's my appointment at? And then goes walking down the hallway, choking and coughing, looking through the fumes. Not like everything is abandoned here. Like all the doors are open. Shit's tipped over. They're storing a bunch of mannequins and stuff on the floor. And she goes in search of somebody on the ninth floor who called her and then ends up getting killed by our killer who is dressed in like surgical scrubs. Looking like... Uh, and then after that, he unlocks the elevator and allows Barbie Benton to go downstairs. So now this is the first sort of uh, wrench in the spokes. Barbie Benton's doctor is dead, so she cannot get to her appointment because there is no doctor for her to talk to. So that's the first delay. We cut to Stanley Spadowski coming up to the ninth floor again, walking with mannequins under his arm to store them on the ninth floor. And then he, com- he stumbles across Dr. Jacob's body. So he's like, oh, my God, I got to tell somebody. And he goes running away. He runs into the killer, who is a doctor in full scrubs. He goes, hey, I just found a dead body. That doctor goes running off down the hallway. And instead of being like, holy shit, I think that guy's the killer. I need to go get literally anybody else and get help. He goes, oh, hey, buddy, you got to help me. It's Dr. Jacobs. Someone's killed her. She's inside hanging in the cabinet. Yo, Dr. Jacobs is dead. He runs off after him and he cuts off into into a room. So then Stanley Spadowski runs in there to be like, hey, where are you going? I need you to help me with this dead body. He runs in there. The guy's disappeared. And then he reappears behind him and dunks his face in, in the acid vat and kills him. So it's just like it's continuously just stupid decision after stupid decision. But like the, the logic to set up the decisions doesn't even make sense. So you're just kind of like, okay, I'm along for the ride. And this is all stupid and glorious. It's, it's because you have to be because it, it just it doesn't make any more sense than like from there. You think like, oh, no, maybe eventually. No, 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 no. It doesn't. It doesn't make any sense at all. The whole means to like she finds another doctor 
who's like, I need to get, like, I'm in a hurry. I need to get my results. Well, only Dr. Jacobs can show that. Yeah, but, like, I sign off on it. And he's mm-hmm. like, okay. And I was like, again, what doctor-patient confidentiality? That's this nope, is not a thing. Um, so, whatever. <laughs> but whatever. Who cares? Um, so that, And then that's the first instance of, like, looking at the results and being like, oh, my God. Oh, uh, my God. <laughs> yeah. He goes to the other doctor, the like, the there's, like, the pervy doctor who does, like, the longest, like, uh, like, the, uh, well, the Doctor Saxon was yeah, the Dr. pervy Saxon. doctor who's like, get undressed, and I have to, which is another red herring of like, yeah. this guy's being creepy. He's being like, like very sexually creepy. Like, yeah. I don't think that that's an actual test. <laughs> what what you're right. doing? Yes, what he's doing is not. There's that creepy dude, and then there's the one who I I couldn't not think the one who looks like Matt Walsh. Not like the conservative dipshit, but like the comedian Matt Walsh from The Hangover and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I couldn't in my brain, I just could not disassociate, and so it made me laugh every time he was on screen. No, yeah, that when this, it's just those three doctors basically walking around and, and furrowing their brow. But then, like, so uh, I forgot to mention when he kills Doctor Jacobs. That's when he swaps out the tests. We yes. see him take it. He he moves the the folders around and, and changes the name. So then. Now she's stuck. Now the doctors are like, well, we're not going to tell you what we think is wrong with you, but we need to keep you here and, and keep doing tests where I just fondle your boobs for like five continuous minutes with no cuts. <laughs> uh, it's really, it's really, 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 really weird. It's really uncomfortable. Uh, that, it's, whole scene. That, that was, a, I was like, okay, you're losing me here. Movie. I, I, I know that, that Barbie Benton is a, a playboy playmate and this is a canon movie. So they were just like, okay, cool. Boobs on boobs. We're, we're going to take maximum advantage of who we've uh, cast a star in this movie um but yeah that was a little bit little bit uh beyond the pale for me um but the then so he does dr saxon does the tests on her and he gives his report of the test to uh an, an assistant who's supposed to type them up in her uh her typewriter and then that would be the report that they give to the doctors so she's typing up this report the killer comes out from behind a door that he's been hiding behind and he grabs her and he injects her with some fluid of some type or, and kills her. Or, right. No, no, he th- that's the next girl who comes in the room. But so he <laughs> I think she just gets stabbed. She gets stabbed. So, whatever. He kill- Basically, the point is like he he kills this girl, throws her body into a closet. We see him take the piece of paper out of the typewriter, then reach into his jacket and pull out his own paper. And then he puts that into the typewriter to make it look like the assistant had just typed this report up and then he hides. So then when the next nurse comes in, they pull that piece of paper out of the typewriter and they go, oh, this report is really bad. It's it's just like (laughs) super convoluted to the point of like, if you just want to kill this girl, you are dressed as a doctor in a hospital and she needs to have tests done. She needs to be observed. Just Walk in and stab her. Like, why are you typing up false reports, swapping out x-ray reports? And it's like Looney Tunes logic. Like, he's the roadrunner running around swapping out all these things. But then when Wiley e. Coyote gets too close, he fucking stabs him. Like, that. It's <laughs> that's what this movie is. That's a great analogy. <laughs> I don't have a better one. That's just a good analogy because it doesn't, like... Y- we know in these movies because you know that the killer like plays with their food or that there's like mm-hmm. obstacles to get to the person that they're trying to get to but it's just so like 
but it's so over the top. It's so much nonsense. Uh, like, I, I feel like that just, I know I'm beating a dead horse, but I, my brain still hurts. And I've watched this like two more times. Like, <laughs> like I sort of watched it in the background today, just trying to get a grasp on it. I still don't know. <laughs> no. I'm just like, it's, it, it's so strange that it's like okay yes i know it's a slasher movie yes you have to have a body count but it's like they just the path they went to just makes no sense at all especially especially because there's no real like red herring or there's no misdirect it's exactly who you think it is immediately it's like okay well and especially because i think that the doctor who ends up being the killer i think he goes by dr harry and we know from the cold open that the young boy who is obsessed with Susan, who killed her friend and then was institutionalized afterwards, is Harold. So they didn't even change his fucking name. He, like, he's, I, I'm Harry. I'm that kid from years ago or whatever. So, like, there is no misdirection. And then the, the movie is just coming up with excuses, like you said, to extend the body count. Um, the, their, the staff end up forcibly restraining Susan at one point and like putting her on a gurney, which is just like, you can't fucking do that. Like if somebody says like, I'm refusing medical care and I'm leaving your hospital, it doesn't care if they're riddled with cancer. You can't tie them to a bed and say, we're going to, we're going to treat you. We're going to give you chemo. Like that. You can't, someone's like, Nope, I don't want you treating me. I'm going to leave. Okay. Bye. That's how it works in a hospital. So it's just another one of those like, Nope, you can't forcibly commit somebody and do that. Well, but- this is, was this before or after that? She calls the boyfriend, uh, in to come help. Her? Oh he, well, yeah. He wakes, he wakes up from sleeping, like he's sleeping in the car and he goes up and then try, like he, they try to walk out. And then that's when Dr. Saxon is like, seize her. They take her off to a different room. Uh, and then he falls asleep again or something. He's like hanging out and then he gets a call that's like, will will the man on floor two please answer the phone in the hall? And Which he answers once again, it. he'd be in a waiting room. He's just in yeah. the hallway. <laughs> like, and also like they shot this in an abandoned hospital. So that like unless you're in the scene, there are no staff. There are no extras for this movie. So it's just a man sitting in a blank white hallway with a chair against the wall and no other people like walking around. So he gets a call that's like, all right, we need you to come up to the ninth floor. He's like, oh, okay, cool. And so he just takes the elevator, goes up to the ninth floor that clearly is fumigating, has chemicals that you're breathing in. You're coughing while walking around, but you're like, well, somebody around here wanted to talk to me. <laughs> and he's just venturing out. And there's also like three old crones who are walking around on the floor and stopping people and being like, are you Dr. Jacobs? And then they're like, I don't know what the point of those characters were i have no Um, idea but they show up like a handful of times but he's walking and he comes across the like uh the he tells him like go to go to room go to room 911 uh which is a little on the nose i would say and he goes and he opens the door and it's like a pitch black room except for like uh there's like a curtain or something on the very far end but there's nobody in there and then from the other end of the room like this is fucking skinnamarink there's just a voice that's like come closer and he's like <laughs> and the guy's like okay and he just walks in the room like it, it, like it doesn't even i know that you try and be like the characters don't know that they're in a horror movie so like a yes. lot of the times when characters are making 
quote-unquote dumb decisions like they you wouldn't in a million years think that around the corner up there is a killer and so then the the decision that they're making isn't necessarily stupid or illogical it's just they don't know they're in a horror movie so they don't they, they don't know they're putting themselves in danger but this in one this is a case, stupid decision <laughs> in this case you 110 percent know that you should not be going over there and he does anyway and the the person that's behind the curtain is just like are like are you like dating Susan is is she your uh, like uh, I think he says mistress which I think they're uh, they're it might be her boyfriend or her fiance but he's like is she your mistress or whatever he walks back there it's a, a member of the staff had been like stabbed and put into a wheelchair and the killer sneaks up behind him with a uh, like a bone saw and fucking decapitates him um, yes which is dope. Uh, but then, it, like, it's again, we're setting up the scenario, you throwing all logic out the window in order to get to the point where we can decapitate a, a character, which is like, it's a slasher movie. I'm here to see the decapitations. It's just normally, I understand how we got here before the de- decapitation happens. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm so yes. fucking confused. And then a decapitation happens. Oh, well, and then it, that, that's kind of a cool reveal when uh, the head goes in a, like, a Valentine's Day gift box. Yeah. You know, so also my bloody Valentine sort of nod, just a head yep. instead of a heart. So there's a there's a. But have, it was like the actor's real head, like they had him below the frame yes. kneeling, and they like put it in a hollow box. Yep. So like it still looks good because it's a real head. Yep, it looks great. Like the 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 practicals and everything in this movie are really really strong. Like hundred um, percent. Arguably the only thing that's strong about it, uh, yes. or at least that makes sense. Um, but yeah, it's like you said, it's just, you have to be along for the ride. Cause it doesn't make any goddamn sense. Even the no. finale, like once we get there and like the reveal and all that stuff, you're like, okay, they're fighting on the roof because, yeah. because you had the, well, go ahead. Cause your favorite thing happens. So why don't, I'm going to give you the floor to talk about it. I had something before my favorite thing. Cause I have two favorite things. There's, there's a, there's a kill that happens in this movie that is it makes zero fucking sense whatsoever. It's uh it's like an extra. So like when Dr. Saxon told um the two nurses to take her and like tie her to the gurney, they like needed to off Dr. Saxon and those two nurses. So Dr. Saxon gets an axe in the head, um and a, a couple other people get stabbed or whatever. We cut to a nurse who takes a corner and starts walking down a hallway. And as she gets like halfway down the hallway, she stops and looks and we get a reverse shot and the killer is walking towards her down the hallway with his hands straight up in the air above his head, holding a sheet and he's just walking forward towards her. And then so we're, we start getting shot reverse shot of her turning and running backwards, but like not moving very quickly at all going, oh, no, oh! like it's it's like Austin Powers. Like, Stop! <laughs> like it just keeps getting closer. And the reverse shot is just a man with a sheet over him like he's a spooky ghost walking down the hallway and the music is like swelling and getting loud and like dun, dun, and we're like, what the fuck is he doing like what i don't i don't understand what he's doing and when we're we keep doing the reverse shot because of course the the hallway wasn't that long and they did several takes when they cut back the the length of the hallway keeps going like really long or really short like she's either 10 feet away from the end of the hallway or 60 feet away from the end of the hallway depending on what when the cut happens and he just reaches her and throws the sheet over her and then stabs her through the sheet and it was like, why the fuck? Did- <laughs> First off, how in the hell did that plan work 
that you started out like a hundred yards away from this woman and you still were able to catch up to her while just walking briskly with a sheet over your face and you still caught up to her and then you just stabbed her. Why didn't you hide behind one of the myriad of doors that's in this hallway and stab her that way? Or just run at her with a knife? Like, (laughs) There was no reason for that setup to happen and they just shot it that way thinking that it was going to be a cool and exciting scene and I was fucking rolling laughing the entire time. It's like the Monty Python and the Holy Grail scene where it's just like running, running, (laughs) running, running and then ah! Also, exactly like that scene. Before you get into the ending here, I do want to, I'm glad you brought up the score because that's one thing I did want to mention is how Mm. operatic that the score is. Like, it's it's like, there's just like this all, like this chanting and like, it's like, it sounds like Duel of the Fates, like especially the scene where the guy gets dunked in the ass I was like, what yeah. is this music? Why does this sound like Star Wars? This is... I was going to say the omen, too. Like, it's the, yeah. the hitus dominus. Like, it, it's got that feel to it. But, like, there's also, like, raising, like, like raising strings and stuff like that. So, like... The score is actually kind of cool, but uh, just like everything else in the movie, it just doesn't match what is going on. <laughs> yes, that's isolated. The score is great, but you're like, this doesn't fit the images that I'm no. <laughs> unfolding on screen at all. So. This could have used a, a synth score, but yes. again, that would have made sense. So, of course, that's not what's incorporated in the movie. They had that's to go the other point. direction. The score, the score is all wrong, but therefore it means it's all right at the same time. So. Yes. Uh, but anyway, finale, rooftop. Uh, uh, yeah, well, finale, Susan gets uh, uh, captured by the doctor. He's he's killed everybody else in the building, and he's going to, like, operate on her. He's going to cut her heart out, basically, and this is where we get the whole reveal, like, hi, my name's Harry. You know, that Harry from 19 years ago who killed that little boy, I'm the same guy, and so... As he's going to operate her on her, he didn't tie her down or anything, so she just reaches over to the operating tray where he has all of his knives, grabs a knife, and stabs him with it. And so he gives chase, but he's like bleeding out. Like he's got he's got a gut wound. So it's like a stupid like super slow chase that he's giving because he has to stop every few feet and lean against a lean against a shelf and be like, oh, oh. <laughs> he's he's hurting really yeah. bad during this chase. Um she runs up the stairs uh, to get up to the roof. Uh, she goes out the the door to the roof and shuts it behind her. And the lock on the door on the roof is not a lock. It's a rope that is like bolted to the door frame that goes over the door handle, which literally would serve no purpose other than keeping someone out so you can hide on the roof, which is like, that's not up to code why is that installed on the door on top of this hospital like the staff like want to take smoke breaks uh without being disturbed and so they like wrap a rope around the door it it was just one of those things where i was looking at it being like well that doesn't make a lick of fucking sense why is there a rope installed on the door frame and then we cut to harry inside who gets up to the top of the stairs pulls the knife out of his gut and then slides the knife through the door frame and, and has to cut through the rope. It's like, oh, okay, so you couldn't just have her find a rope and tie that around. Like, they, like she couldn't have been resourceful. There's an installed fucking rope on the door frame that was used as a, as a block. And 
that's just one part of this whole thing that gets fucking wild and weird. But earlier on in the movie, while being chased, Susan has a lighter and she drops it and she almost gets found out from in her hiding spot because she dropped this lighter. But after she drops it, she very desperately has to like scoot the lighter back across the floor and, and out from where she had dropped it because she needs that lighter. And we have no idea why she has no reason that she would need a lighter but then oh, during she's this final smoking because this is the era where you could smoke in a hospital i guess right <laughs> she's smoking but, I mean, earlier like, in she, the movie but but she anyway. but she dropped the lighter like and you're being like this is when she's hiding behind the curtain in the hallway with the killer on the other side of the curtain where he right. definitely saw her because he like looks right at her and then we cut to her looking through the curtain she very slowly moves it like she doesn't snap back she like very slowly moves it over her eye and apparently he just didn't see that um but she like desperately needs that lighter back and so it's just like just leave the lighter you don't need it well turns out the script knew that she needed it so she is being chased by harry she dumps a bunch of flammable liquid from the jar that's just labeled flammable liquid and covers him with it we get up on the roof they are having a tussle she has her lighter that she was able to save from earlier she lights harry on fire she runs to the edge of the building is standing there harry in a flaming like they do a full on like on fire flaming man stunt he runs across the rooftop goes to tackle her she moves and we get my favorite thing in the world a flaming bad dummy shot of him ah! <laughs> off the building he goes down like the eight stories or whatnot, and then just like pathetically smacks into the pavement because it's just like a, sh- a shitty sixty-pound wooden dummy, <laughs> just kind of smacks. And then we cut to next day, uh, Susan walking out, smiling face into the daylight. Staff are walking around. They got patients in in uh, um, they're they're just in wheelchairs and stuff. And she walks out, and the husband. And her daughter come walking up and they're like, oh, hey, honey, how are you? Like, oh, I'm doing great. And then it freeze frames and we started going over credits. And it's like literally like a 10 second wrap up that happens right after a flaming dummy shot. And I I must have woken the neighbors up. I was laughing so fucking hard of just that juxtaposition of those two things happening in rapid succession. <laughs> It's I incredible. lost my shit. It's incredible. Just like not, not everything's fine. Nothing happened. Yeah, there wasn't over. Just, it's just like he killed everybody in the building. He killed the entire hospital staff. And then there's like, oh no, yeah, we're fine. We got all that cleared up. <laughs> Bad <laughs> business as usual. Well, and they mentioned that like uh, they mentioned early in the movie when her boyfriend drops her off to be like, isn't that hospital where like a patient went like mad like years ago? Yeah. It's like, oh no, it's fine. And <laughs> Uh, and then that that, and it's like (laughs) it's never brought up again it's never brought up again it's never addressed and it's like oh man that's that's x-ray for you it's oh uh, my god oh boy and the amazing thing about it is mostly not all but mostly valentine's day doesn't Really, it doesn't need to be set on Valentine's Day. It could no. have been set any other spot. It's just that the the inciting incident of the kid, it just happened to be on Valentine's Day. It's like, And it could have been the inciting incident like to kick off the movie. But then, yeah, you're right. When they go to the hospital, it's Valentine's Day for really no reason. Yeah. It's, it, could, it could have just been, oh, she's here. I could get my revenge. It didn't have right. to be. But 
it just it it's got to be on Valentine's Day. It, yeah, I've been plotting this for nineteen years apparently. Um, well, and like his his character isn't like we don't get any backstory or anything out of it, but like we don't know if after he killed that young boy, if he like got arrested or, or was institutionalized or whatever. But like, did he literally go to school and study pre med and like became? a doctor and got a job at this hospital and then like just happened to notice her name on an admission form or like has he literally been stalking her for 19 years like we none don't know of this is explained none of this is covered at all yep the movie doesn't it doesn't matter they're like just just enjoy it there's there's kills there's nudity just have a good time and it's like okay i do need something more but you know but like it's it's exactly what it says on the box, so I right. guess I can't be too upset. But no, I mean, I did have a good time with it. It's just like, it's just so weird. It's just such a weird movie, and I cannot stress enough that it's a very strange slasher movie. Oh, dude. I I mean, what a picture. One of a kind. Like, I think Death Screams, the, the, final, the final 10-ish minutes of Death Screams. Yes. I would say that X-Ray is that for almost the entire runtime of like, wait, what's happening? What's going on here? And like, holy shit, what happened? And oh, he blew that dude's head in half. Like that level of excitement and still just trying, like being, being behind the plot of the movie, but then also being simultaneously ahead of it. (laughs) Like it's, it's leaving out some information and, and it's giving you information you don't need. And you're trying to parse through what's going on. And before you can actually catch up to what's happening, somebody's getting chased down the hallway by somebody with a ghost sheet and you're like okay hold on i'm on to a whole new problem now that yeah. i need to resolve you're, watch- you're watching time and space it has no bearing it's like the ending of 2001 a space odyssey it's just like everything <laughs> everything all at once this move this movie is the monolith is what i'm what i'm saying yeah just replace <laughs> me in the bed and then replace the monolith with a tv with x-ray playing on it and my hand slowly <laughs> raising up and re- reaching towards it i i like it it's it's fun like i i it's a fun movie for for sure um, oh man <laughs> Uh, man, I'm, I'm looking through all my notes and I'm, I'm making sure that I didn't leave anything out. I'm sorry. I talked forever uh, uh, during our x-ray discussion. It's all good. No, no, no. It's okay. It's it's because uh, this is this was this was your pick and you you were really taken with the movie. So I, I really appreciate hearing you talk about it and like enjoy because it just happens. Right. Like when something really like that where you're just like, this is just so off the wall and I loved it and I connected with it. Like it's, it's really in, enjoyable. And like, I didn't love it as much as you did, but I, I think the movie's still fun. I would recommend it, especially in like a group setting, uh, like type movie. Like it, it's, 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 it just, it makes no sense. It's a, it's a howler as you've sort of referred to a few times or like you were laughing along with the movie. Oh my um, God. Yeah. So it's just like, it's, it's a, like I said, it's a one of a kind, uh, there's a terrific 4K UHD out from Vinegar Syndrome that's in a pack with Schizoid. Uh, I think it's also currently on Tubi. I don't know how much longer it will be on there, but it is on Tubi if you want to test the waters first. Yeah, um, get to it uh, as soon as you can. Rush out now and go watch X-Ray. This whole episode, really, uh, before we wind it up, should be uh, sponsored by Tubi. Because I'm pretty sure yeah. all all three of these movies uh, were are on Tubi. Uh, maybe My Bloody Valentine isn't uh, it's on hbo max but the other two are for sure 
Yeah, and it, I mean, if you're looking for some entertainment for the upcoming uh, holiday, uh, like like we said up top, uh, it all three of these would be good picks. You can marathon them. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, I couldn't say anything better myself. It's it's uh, like you said, oops, all bangers. Uh, these like <laughs> movies ended up being all entertaining. So in one way or the other, so definitely check them out. Um, next week, uh, it's my pick and, um, I'm coming in a little late here because you're listening to this on Friday, February 10th. Uh, the Super Bowl is this weekend. So we are a little, little late on this, but, uh, I, I had this category sitting around for a while and I figured might as well to cap off the, the NFL season. We're going to talk about, uh, detective movies that, involve football in some way football is related to the protagonist of the movie um so sure (laughs) sure why not uh i think you you were the one who said it once like the further we do this show it's just the category is just gonna be more and more niche so like why not why not so football related uh detective movies that we're gonna talk about i love it but in the meantime in the meantime i'm gonna have to kind of wing it here because if you have been listening to the show for a long time uh i have a pretty boilerplate outro that i say at the end of every episode uh but some things have changed since i uh wrote this for example i always say you can find all our webs all of our episodes on our website at thegoodbadwhat.com um that is no longer the case we've decided to decommission our website we just it wasn't worth keeping it up we'll probably find um like a blogger page or you know something that's more cost effective um but currently you could just you could pretty much find us on any podcaster of choice as usual apple podcast spotify stitcher iHeartRadio, anchor.fm google podcast you name it and you can follow us on instagram at the good bad what and you can email us at the good the bad the what at gmail.com uh, and of course, to give shout outs, our logo comes from Michelle Parkos and our theme music comes from Paco. Their portfolio and SoundCloud link are in the show notes, respectively. Chris, where can more people find you online? Yeah, you can find me on Letterboxd at C underscore T-H-O-M. You could also find me on Letterboxd at Ryan underscore Oliver. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with football-related detective movies. <laughs> Once upon a time, on a sad valentine, in a place known as Hannigan Mine. A legend began, every woman and man would always remember the time. And those who remained were never the same, you could see the fear in their eyes. Once every year, as the 14th draws near, There's a hush all over the town